How are you guys doing? How many parents are stoked that it's the holidays? I didn't see any hands. <laughs> but yeah, I bet the teachers are. Um, so I've been really enjoying this series as well. And like um, Lance said, it's good to be challenged. I like being challenged. That's how you grow. We don't grow when we're just sitting in our comfort zones. Amen? Um, so just a wee recap. We have looked at blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst. And last week we looked at blessed are the merciful. And so today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5 verse 8. And that reads, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Some of us need help to see in the physical. Um, but this is talking about seeing in the spiritual, in the, in the kingdom realm, seeing what God's doing. And so it's important to note from the start that it says blessed are the pure in heart, not those that become pure in heart. Because being pure in heart is inherent. It's not earned. And Lance touched on that. Um, being a child of God isn't, and having the blessings of God isn't something that we earn. And that's very countercultural, as are all the Beatitudes. Um, because in our culture, it's almost expected that we earn everything. We're trained from young kids to earn things, earn our status. We earn rewards for good behavior. We earn good grades. We earn money. We earn our way up the job ladder. And becoming pure in heart is countercultural. All these beatitudes and everything in the kingdom is countercultural. God wants to turn that upside down. And so that means that we have to get our minds going, open our hearts and get ready for that to get turned 180. And so we know that um, we can't earn purity. Earning speaks about effort. And that's not how God works. He gave himself for us. It wasn't something that we earned. He freely gave that to us. And all we have to do is receive that. And so we know that we can't earn purity. And just like the poor in spirit are spiritually poor, as distinct from those whose poverty is material. Uh, Jesus is not speaking about purity in behavior, but he's talking about purity of our heart. And there's a big difference there. And it's something that we just need to establish from the outset. We can't do anything to make God love us more or less. We can't do anything to earn our salvation. We can't do anything to have a pure heart. That's a gift. And it comes through relationship with God. And that's what the Pharisees got wrong. And Jesus was always pressing on that, challenging them, that they tried to earn rank. They tried to earn their position by keeping a whole bunch of religious rules. And that's what we don't want to fall into, the habit of doing. And they failed to have that relationship with God that would have elevated their position way easier than trying to earn it by doing all of this outward um, rituals. And so that was one of Jesus' biggest issues with the Pharisees was that they were obsessed with the external and ceremonial purity, trying to purify themselves from the outside in. Um, and Matthew chapter 23 verse 25 says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. He doesn't mince words here, eh? 
For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. And so the ability to stand in God's presence and see his face, it requires clean hands and a pure heart, but it's not purity from what we're doing, what we're trying to earn to get into the kingdom of God. It's a purity that comes from relationship with God. And Psalm chapter 24, verse 3 to 4 says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Um, I always joke with my family. I don't know, like clean hands and a pure heart just go so well together that when we're getting ready for a meal or I need to ask the kids, sometimes they'll want to come up and touch my face and I'm like have you got clean hands and a pure heart and they're like what I'm just gonna go and wash my hands (laughs) but in the context of the Beatitudes purity of heart refers to a sense of our relationship with God Um, because the person with clean hands and a pure heart is the one who doesn't trust in an idol or swear by a false God Um, and when we have relationship with God that counts all of that other stuff out because Our heart is in tune and in relationship with God. And this means that unlike the Pharisees, being having purity and being pure in heart is um is our whole life. It's the public and the private, and it's transparency before God and others. Um, And that includes our thoughts and our motives and keeping those pure. And purity is lost when um element is an element is mixed with something that taints it or is mixed with something that is devious or underhand when our thoughts and our motives are not pure that's when our purity is lost and there's a temptation in life to kind of wear different masks or wear different hats of different roles that we play in our lives according to whatever occasion that we find ourselves in Um, and this is like play acting which is the hypocrisy that Jesus pulled the Pharisees up on. And I heard this story about a well-known family called the Johnsons, and the wife, Jen, was getting ready to lead worship. Um, They have big, big gatherings. And she had to get her kids ready. They have three children of their own, and they've adopted two young children as well. So I can imagine that her house is very chaotic. And she was getting herself ready, and she hopped into the car with her father-in-law Bill Johnson and she was a bit flustered and she kind of sighed and was like oh mum hat off worship hat on and Bill leaned over to her and he was just like the problem is that you should have never taken the worship hat off and she was kind of like yeah yeah you're right And that's sometimes how we treat our lives with God. We compartmentalize things and we split them up into the areas like this is my job and this is my church life and this is my connect group and this is my faith, this is my prayer life and this is how I am with my kids at home because sometimes that's very different to how we discipline in public and that might just be me. Um, But only God can make us pure in heart, and we can't separate our faith and our life. That's 
It's intertwined when we have a relationship with God and when we are uh, striving after his kingdom, then our public and our private lives need to match up. They need to be transparent before God. And that's because we need his help. We can't separate our faith from our work life because there are work situations that we need our faith and we need help from God. So we can't afford to, to separate these things and compartmentalize it into different areas because we need God in every area of our lives. Amen? And so only God can make us pure in heart and Jesus was the only one who was absolutely pure in heart. But if Jesus was the only one who could achieve that, then, then what are we to do? But when we receive Christ as our Lord and Saviour, we get a brand new heart. The scriptures teach us that he doesn't renovate our hearts like we renovate our homes. He gives us a brand new one. And Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26 says, And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I love that scripture. It's not just um, doing something up to make it look better. It's actually a transplant of our hearts that we get. We get a brand new one, and that's a really good deal. We get to take our sin and our shame and our condemnation and everything that we've done wrong in our lives, and we get a brand new heart. We should be thankful for that, and that's the, the basis of our praise is that God has given us a new heart. That's the position that we start from when we are in relationship with God. We start from a position of being pure. Philippians chapter 2 verse 15 says, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And we start from a position of pure because of what Christ has done for us. We just have to learn how to keep our heart pure so that we can see God through the eyes of faith. And that's the other half of this. Best are the pure in heart for they will see God. And that's an amazing thing to, to have, to be able to see God in our situations, to see God in our relationships, to see God in people and be able to draw that out of them and to recognize and encourage that in other people. But as I was saying before, an element loses its purity when it's mixed with other things. And our enemy is constantly sending temptations our way to try and get the impurities into our hearts. And if he can get them in there, then we will struggle to see God. You know, I wear glasses. I'm not sure if you do. But imagine owning a pair of glasses for your whole life and they'd be filthy and scratched because put those there. Because anger and unforgiveness and doubt is dirty and they can scratch up scratch up our lives when we are un unforgiving when we're not showing mercy like we talked about last week it's dirty and it begins to slowly, as we let these impurities in, 
it blocks out our ability to see God. And I could sit there and try and scrub that away, but you can't get the scratches out of it. And that's what happens when we let a pure element, like our hearts, when we have had a transplant from God. That's what happens when we let impurities get in there and they taint our vision, they taint our ability to see what God is doing, to see um, where he is in different situations. And the best thing that I could do, instead of trying to, I'm just going to smudge it and I'm not going to get those scratches out, the best way, the best thing I could do is to bundle it up, take it to Jesus and get a new pair. And that is the difference between effort, because I could sit there with my cleaning cloth, with my effort and my elbow grease, and try and get those impurities out. And that's the difference between effort and relationship, where I can take my heart to God and say, God, I need a new heart. I want something new. And I will have the ability to see God. Because Jesus gives us that when we come to him, when we ask for salvation, when we surrender everything, all the impurities and the things that have tainted our vision, when we take them to God, he will give us a new heart, a new vision that comes with that because blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. So how do I keep my glasses clean? Well, I go to God and I get the tools to clean them And I'm just going to go over three things that we can do to keep our hearts pure after we've had that transplant of a new heart from God. And the first way is be quick to believe. And we have to be quick to believe because the the things that can quickly get mixed into our pure hearts are doubt and fear and unbelief. And it can happen without us even really thinking about it. And doubt seems innocent enough, but we can't afford to doubt God and have unbelief in our hearts. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, and that's why we are always encouraging you to read your word, to get into his presence. There was a really sweet presence of God here this morning. Like Lance was saying, step into it. Step into his presence. Step into the word of God. Be diligent and create that habit of getting into his word, because that's what's going to help keep our hearts pure. But it's really easy to start getting analytical and trying to work out things in our faith and take a backseat and let doubt start to creep in. Did God really say that? Like, it doesn't seem like he's answering my prayer. I asked him five minutes ago if I could have a car park and I'm still driving around the block. Or... I prayed for that person and they didn't get healed. Is God really a healer? Because he didn't heal me. He hasn't healed me yet. And it's really easy to let those little doubts get in. But eventually they'll start to build up those little scratches that are going to taint our vision. And I just really believe that we need to resolve that if the word of God says it, then I believe it. To take God at his word and to trust in it, and to stand on it, because that's our foundation when things start to get rocky. 
Mark chapter 6, verse 5 and 6 says, And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Like they had the saviour of the world going around their community and they didn't believe that he was the saviour because he was just Joseph and Mary's son. And these are the little doubts that can get in the way of miraculous wonders that he was doing everywhere else, but their unbelief blocked them from receiving those miracles. Mark chapter 9, 24 says, Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And he got the miracle because he believed. But it, just like he says, I believe, help my unbelief, is a little bit of an oxymoron. It is like that. Sometimes we just let snippets of it creep in. But what did he do? He, he asked God to help him. Help my unbelief, God, because I want to believe. I need to believe. Help me to believe. And the scriptures say that we need to be childlike in our faith. Um, but we can get so intellectual and need to be convinced. And until we are convinced of, or everything makes sense, then we are unpersuadable. And it's really sad. And when I was pregnant with Judah, the sonographer, I've shared the story before, I think, but the sonographer was taking ages with one of my scans and I, I just happened to be there by myself that day. And she... She said that it, it looked like the placenta had adhered to other organs and that can have severe complications at birth. And my midwife looked at the scans and she showed me all these different diagrams that, okay, what it's looking like is the, the worst kind of adhesion. And so I started to let doubt creep in and I Googled, which you should never Google, don't Google your symptoms. And so I found out all the stuff that um, I don't have to have a C-section and I had been banking on having a home birth and I'd already ordered the pool and all these things. Like I've paid the deposit and I've paid for all this stuff. How can this be going out the window because of one scan? And then my lovely husband snapped me out of it and said, stop Googling. We're going to pray. And we got Pastor Craig and Trinity to pray for us. And the scan then came back completely normal. I had to go for this in-depth scan with a um, specialist and it took like an hour and they looked at every little piece of the placenta in depth and they did an internal scan and all this stuff and it came back that there was nothing wrong. And some people would say, oh, well, they just got the scan wrong. But we were quick to believe that, no, that was God. That was prayer to go from having the worst kind of adhesion to nothing at all. And the only thing that changed was prayer in the middle. That's God. And sometimes we have to give God the honor that he's due because sometimes we can get a headache and pray and then we take a Panadol and then we just put it down to what the Panadol worked. But God is working way more than anything man-made. So let's not be people that analyse God, but be people that are quick to believe him, to believe that he heals, to believe that he's um, doing a work in our lives. And so the second thing is to be quick to forgive. 
there was a town in the USA where the water was making people sick. And after an investigation, they found high up in the mountains, a dead cow carcass was in the stream that feeds into the town supply, and it was tainting the water supply and making everybody sick. And so all they had to do to clean up the water was take the cow out. Sounds pretty self-explanatory. Um, and then the stream self-purified. And I have a similar experience where back home in Gisborne, I did outrigger canoeing. And so sometimes we would find dead things had drifted down the river and we would just kind of paddle around it. But the only thing that was going to get rid of the smell and the stench and the yuckiness in the water was to take the cow out or take the sheep carcass out of the water because everybody could smell it. It wasn't just the, the cow and the river that were affected. It was the, the people that used the river, the people that lived by the river, who I'm sure could smell that smell, which just goes right up. You, it just gets like stuck up there even after you leave, like you can still smell it, like it's gone up there. <laughs> but I've learned in life that if I allow and tolerate little things like unforgiveness towards others in my life, that becomes a cow in the river of my life. And that begins to smell. And it's not a nice place to be. And other people can smell that. And other people can see and know that stench of decomposing flesh, which is what happens when we are unforgiving. So we need to guard our hearts against those impurities that are trying to sneak into our pure heart. And it, it brings a new meaning to this verse in Proverbs chapter 4.23, which says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. We need to guard our hearts from unforgiveness, from being bitter and not showing mercy, because those things become a cow in the stream of our life. And who knows that we want a flowing, clean, nice smelling stream so forgiveness needs to be quick and like craig said last week it is often continual 70 times 7 because if you don't then every day that goes by that you think about it can take you just straight back to where you were in that unforgiveness and in that hurt so we need to make it a constant process because if you think about it you'll feed on it, you'll get mad all over again, you might have internal conversations, um, rehearsing what you would say to this person if you were to have a conversation, and if they say that, then I'm going to say this, and it's just a spiral downwards. But we need to get that poison out of the stream. So what we do, we don't let it build up, but we deal with it quickly. Because if they got the cow out of the stream way up where it went in the stream, then it wouldn't have caused all the pollution on the way down. So these four things, you don't rehearse it. You don't go over and over it in your mind. You don't nurse it. Like we nurse a baby, we feed and change and care for. We don't nurse that kind of hurt, the unforgiveness. We don't nurse it. We reverse it, we forgive them, and we ask and pray a blessing of God on them. And then we disperse it, we let it go, we pray a blessing on them, and we move on. And if it comes up again, 
We don't rehearse it. We don't nurse it. We reverse it and disperse it. And then we move on. And if it comes back again, then we don't rehearse it. We don't nurse it. We reverse it and disperse it. And if it happens again, which is likely, we don't rehearse it. We don't nurse it. We reverse it and disperse it. And if it happens again, which is likely, because these things just keep coming up, we don't rehearse it. We don't nurse it. We reverse it and disperse it. We be quick to forgive because Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 to 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. So be quick to forgive. Get the cow out of the stream of your heart. Keep your glasses clean so you can see God. And the third thing is to be quick to repent. If I say I think I deserve to be angry with them, I deserve to feel the way that I'm feeling because of the way that they treated me, I'm just self-justifying. And I'm not having a transparent heart. I now have a proud heart. And that is still going to fog up your glasses. So to maintain purity when we sin, not if we sin, but when we sin because... That's just the way it goes. We don't put off repentance. The moment the word comes out of your mouth, stop and repent. The moment the thought comes into your mind, stop and repent. I'm sorry I just snapped at you earlier. Please forgive me. It's also how you stay happily married. <laughs> Blessed are the pure in heart, the ones that keep a pure heart. Keep those boundaries in place to protect your heart from being Tainted, be quick to repent. Um, can I get the band up? When we aren't quick to repent, then we build up a case in our mind. We become lawyers and we, we build this case and we build our defense. And we don't need to. We don't need to get defensive, but we, we do. And we're having these imaginary court cases in our mind of like, this is the evidence that they have and this is the evidence I'm going to present and if they say that, then I've got this piece of evidence that I can put into the evidence thing. And then we create these scenarios in our head where I'm justified because they hurt me, so I'm allowed to be angry, I'm allowed to stay bitter, and I'm allowed to not talk to them anymore. But we need to have pure hearts. That is tainting our vision of seeing God, seeing him move. And purity of heart starts with believing that when Christ died on the cross, he paid the price to cleanse all of our sin. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And that's the heart transplant that we talked about. Why don't you stand with me and just close your eyes in this moment. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And if we go back to the start, it says that he gives us a new heart and a new spirit. He takes out the stubborn and hard heart and he gives us a brand new one. So just while everybody's got their eyes closed, perhaps you're sitting there thinking, 
yeah, Anna, my, my glasses are scratched up. I can't see God. I can't see what he's doing. I can't see where he's moving in my life. And I want to see God. I need a new heart. I've been using up all my effort to clean my life up. But I need that relationship with God. I want a new pair of glasses. Mine are dirty. And I can't see God. I can't see what he's doing. I can't sense what he's doing. I can't feel him. I've lost that relationship. And I've just been trying to go through the motions in my own strength. And you know, if that's you, then I'm here today to say that God will transplant your heart. You don't have to go on a waiting list like at the hospital and wait 6, 10, 12 months. It's instant. All you have to do is surrender your old heart so he can put a new one in you. Surrender your old spirit so that he can put a new spirit in you. And so just as we stand in the presence of God, this is the perfect opportunity that if you want a new heart, if you want new vision, to, to come and get that today. So if that's you and you want to be able to see fresh, you want to be able to see clearly again, um, then why don't you just put your hand on your heart and I'm going to pray. Because that's as, as simple as it is to come and get a, a heart transplant. So we're going to pray, God, I thank you for these people that I see with their hands on their hearts. And God, you don't want us to have a cow that is polluting our lives. You don't want us to, to stay with impurities in our heart. You want us to have a new heart, a pure heart, God. And you're the only one who can do that. So this morning, God, we surrender our old heart, the one that's tainted, that's been hurt, that's been rejected, that's been broken, that is past being renovated. We surrender that to you this morning. And we thank you that right now you are transplanting a brand new, fully functioning, pure heart into our lives, into our bodies this morning. We thank you that now our glasses are clean, that blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I pray over each and every person that they will begin to see you in these situations. They will begin to see you in their circumstances. They will begin to see you moving, see you healing, see you molding them into new creations. Where they've been challenged, help them to use that to move forward. Help them to step out of their comfort zones so that they can meet with you in your presence and be changed and made whole. I thank you for these new hearts, these pure hearts, and this clear vision. In Jesus' name.